Hi, this is Randy Nichols with the Right Angle Podcast. In light of previous discussion of Christianity being about being kind versus being nice, I just wanted to mention, yes, Jesus was very gentle as a default, and we should be too. Uh, but I do want to point out there were certain times when he wasn't entirely gentle by our standards today. There were certain times when he was dealing with people who were oppressing others, especially in the name of God, like with the Pharisees, um, the money changers, for instance. These were leaders oppressing people in the name of God, and they were not dealt with gently by Jesus. And I would, I would say my tendency, because of my failures, I guess, um, not, is not to judge people, whatever their problems they have, whatever they're doing, uh, what their, whatever their struggles with sin, whatever. <clears throat> I instead think, tend to think to myself, there but by the grace of God go I. I have lots of truth that was not because I'm smart or anything. Many of the good decisions I've made are really due to some blessings from God and circumstances beyond my control. So I try not to judge people. However, the exception to this for me as well is when people are being oppressed, especially in the name of Christianity, like Westboro Baptist, for instance, the people that are spreading outright hate in the name of God, that's when I feel like it's time to call people out and uh, make sure it is known by people in the public that what they are doing, what these people are doing is not okay and doesn't represent true Christianity. Now, to clarify, I don't believe it. I should, I should call out every person or church whose doctrine I feel is not correct or even causing problems. I'm talking about oppressive theology. That's when I'm going to call out specific people. That's when I feel like we should call out not just doctrines, but specific people or groups. When it seems clear the ones espousing oppressive theology are not attempting an honest study of Scripture. <clears throat> Bethel, for instance, their pastor is saying he has no room in his theology for Christians being sick. Now, I don't see how, I mean, there's no way you can find that in Scripture. Furthermore, my understanding is that they are basically saying to their people at their church, if you are sick or if you're poor, it's because you don't have enough faith. You're not applying the doctrine correctly which is kind of a harsh legalism, really. So that's why the couple from that church, Bethel, that lost their baby and then announced they had decided to step out on faith, and they declared that God was going to raise their child from the dead. And, you know, we can't blame them too much because they are only following what they're taught and taking it to its natural conclusion. I'm not calling them out. But because of the way that happened, they, they experienced way more pain than they would have originally if they had been taught correctly from Scripture. This kind of thing makes me angry. At, at, I'm angry at the leadership of Bethel 
for this. And I find it hard to believe that he, that the pastor, is approaching Scripture with integrity and coming up with these conclusions. <clears throat> anyway, I just wanted to add to what we had said last time about being kind. Christianity is about being kind, not being nice. I think we need gentleness as a default, but be willing to confront. And I think we have to especially confront oppressive ministry when it is hurting people badly. Okay, I wanted to share a little bit more about where I'm coming from, how I got here, and I'm going to drop some names. We're going to name drop a little bit. Names of figures and institutions in the fundamentalist camp or wherever are adjacent to it in order to make help make my point. So I hope it helps and doesn't hinder the process. But I, I grew up in a type of fundamentalism that was sort of the middle ground of the camp. Like the extreme strict wing was more Bob Jones University, those type of people. And the more lenient, I guess, wing was like Liberty University, but still fundamentalist. So I didn't realize until I got on Facebook years ago, you know, this, uh, years after growing up, and I finally got back into contact with people I grew up and but and saw how many of them are still in that same mindset. But in retrospect, I almost feel like God escorted me out of that in multiple steps. And that's what I want to talk about. <clears throat> I remember being at a Christian bookstore with my dad and books by Chuck Swindoll almost seemed to have a sort of halo around them or something. I was drawn to them. So I grabbed one and my dad bought it for me. And his book, Grace Awakening, really helped. <clears throat> I, feel, I really found that helpful in relaxing the legalistic view of life on non-doctrinal issues while still holding on to the conservative view, conservative views of doctrine. Eventually I came across Steve Brown, who was like Swindoll, but a much, a much more edgy version of Swindoll, and communicated what seemed at the time like a radical view of grace. Listening to him really freed me up uh, from some of the legalism I felt like I, I grew up with. Um, I remember driving around in my car listening to his cassette tapes and thinking to myself, is this really true? Grace is this radical. Um, the pastor at, I had at the time was very grace-oriented too. Um, <clears throat> but it was not just a kind of chill-out kind of grace, like we're talking about with Grace Awakening and Swindoll or with Steve Brown. It was an active, life-changing, empowering kind of grace. And I remember this guy talked about listening to Swindoll and John MacArthur a lot. And so it was teachers with a little more depth, uh, but a good segue out of fundamentalism. When I first listened to MacArthur, I was a little repelled because he sounded a bit to me like the hellfire pastors I'd grown up with. But I sensed that I should take what I can get from him and eventually I began to realize he communicated a lot of depth 
and a lot of truth from scripture and wasn't legalistic in that way. <clears throat> now, MacArthur led me directly to R.C. Sproul and to Reformed theology, which is how I got drawn into the movement that was known at the time as the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement and started listening to guys in that movement like Matt Chandler. So um, anyway, I feel like more than just depth, I also gained a lot of balance uh, from the spectrum of teachers I listened to, these guys that I've talked about. It seems I always had a more law-based teacher that I was listening to and also a more grace-oriented teacher at the same time. And this, I think, has helped me not err too much on either side. <clears throat> For instance, before my theology became more Reformed, I would say MacArthur was the more law guy and Swindoll was the more grace guy of the teachers I was listening to. And once in Reformed circles, Sproul was the more law guy. Steve Brown was more of the grace guy. I don't know if that was what anybody else's experience with those guys is. But anyway, I just wanted to share how all these guys helped shape my theology and approach to applying scripture to issues of the day. So today I wanted to address what may be the classic distinctive of fundamentalism historically, or at least one of the most obvious practical applications of it. So we really need to talk about drinking and smoking and the way that's handled in American Christianity, especially fundamentalism. Even just those terms, drinking and smoking, seem to imply that when you do these things, you are going to go the whole way towards some excess or extreme behavior. So suffice it to say, I studied scripture and eventually reached a point where I don't believe that these things are necessarily to be completely avoided. But the thing is, people act like those of us with that view are saying something like, hey, we have the right to do this. You know, like when kids are talking to a parent and they throw their words back in their face. You said... You said this, you said that, so you have to let me do this, or whatever. That's not really what we're doing. We believe what we are doing is what is meant to be done. Um, using things for their purposes. But And there's a sense in which it's wrong to not drink. No, not really. Obviously, I'm trying to be provocative when I say that. It's, there's a sense in which it's wrong to be opposed to that and only in the sense that we are all not exactly correct and being wrong sinful or whatever is anything less than perfect let me make my argument i will say you are in error if you are saying that nobody should ever drink and that's that's the uh what i want to argue and uh conclude let me make my argument. So put it this way. If God gave his people a gift and then some warnings on how to use it, and then some have abused it, and because of that, some others are saying nobody should ever use this anymore, 
That's wrong, right? If that's true, then that's wrong. the wrong approach. If it's a gift from God, and you are forbidding it for others because you are uncomfortable with the way it has been handled by some, that's not a good thing. Just some something to think about. So let me clarify why I'm saying this. So many fundamentalist churches... Uh, at least this used to be the case, maybe not so many anymore, but uh, lots of fundamentalist churches, I think, will have an annual or so sermon on alcohol, if not alcohol and tobacco, um, as if that's a major doctrinal point made in Scripture. But And actually, when they have that sermon, they actually tend to start in a good place, I would say. They start with Scripture, and they read all its warnings they of course interpret them as strongly as they can then since the bible doesn't quite say what they want it to say on the subject then they launch into emotional stories stories of people who have ruined their lives on alcohol or smoking of which you can find many of course that's definitely a problem why is that a problem um I can talk about this at length later on, but is is it possible when people think something is really bad and then they finally give in to it, they go nuts with it instead of just moderately handling? So if our society communicates, if the conservatives or the fundamentalists in our society communicate, this is really, really bad, and then people in our society, when they give in, they aren't. They aren't being moderate about it, then that's the problem, right? Anyway, that that aside, I could go further into later, but the point I want to make here is, and I don't want to take the time to argue against this idea as much as I want to just call for consistency on these types of issues. Let me explain. So with those emotional stories in mind, <clears throat> I recently found a list of, I think it was the top 12 causes of death in the United States. And if not all, almost all of them could be directly traced back to three things. One was abuse of alcohol, another was abuse of tobacco, and another was abuse of food. I.e., like, not just portions, but you could say... Uh, trans fat, sugar, basically junk food. So there are, so on those three things, abuse of alcohol, abuse of tobacco, and abuse of food, let's say there are three goals or positions you can hold on these things, on how, to what extent we partake of these things. Uh, you can hold abstinence, moderation or full indulgence even to the point of excess based on scripture what is the position we should have in these three areas so what do the what's the position the fundamentalist holds well on alcohol they will say abstinence complete abstinence even if you're just social drinking as they say or whatever for work whatever you, we hear that you're doing that, you allow that. We question your salvation. You're at least probably not right with God. 
uh, abstinence, absolute abstinence on alcohol. How about tobacco? Absolute abstinence, right? Obviously, a Christian wouldn't partake of smoking or chewing, dipping, whatever. Uh, even pipe cigars, a Christian would not do that. Absolute abstinence is the fundamentalist position on those two. Then you get to the third one, junk food. If you're, you're going to be consistent, you're going to have absolute abstinence on that, right? Well, it turns out, even though the Bible specifically addresses it, about the only time you hear about gluttony from fundamentalists, they are usually joking, right? They're saying something like, ha ha, yep, that's my vice, you know, I eat too much or whatever. And they joke around about, and they'll have these big dinners with lots of fried foods and, and you know, that's fine. I want to argue that the biblical position on these three areas, as far as us partaking, is moderation. I mean, that's consistent, right? If you're saying these things are addressed in Scripture, don't be drunk, you know, take care of your body, um, gluttony is a sin, and then it's not specific, nothing specifically forbidden there. The, but moderation is the answer to, to all three of those. You know, I know somebody who is dangerously overweight in these circles, these fundamental circles, and can barely leave the house and has missed all kinds of important family events as a result of the sicknesses resulting from that. If you, if you could trace their health problems directly to drinking or smoking, people in their circles would be wagging their head saying, oh, he ruined his life. But since it's instead directly traced to the abuse of food, they instead say, pray for Brother Jones. He's under the weather. You know, he's homebound or whatever. Uh, and it's the same thing that's going on. The same sort of uh, command in Scripture same sort of emotional stories going on. Um, different application in that camp. I want to argue for consistency there. So the Reformed position is moderation on all of these. That makes more sense than the fundamentalist position, which is abstinence on the two taboos, indulgence on the third. You know, there are two natural things you can do with a grape. You can pluck it off the vine and eat it. Or a sec the second you pluck it off, if you don't eat it, immediately the yeast on the skin begins to interact with the tons of sugar in the grape and converting it out into alcohol. It's really a beautiful thing. It's completely natural turning into alcohol, which you show you see in scripture being partaken of. What's not natural is grape juice. You know, Welch's was a group of fundamentalists that were upset how people were abusing alcohol and they decided it was wrong and should be avoided completely, even in communion and the Lord, or the Lord's Supper. So they unnaturally froze the grapes. That's what they do. They unnaturally, they stop 
the natural fermentation process, process in, in its process. And, and they create something completely unintended. And by the way, insanely rich and sugary. If, if you approach scripture with no preconceived notions on this, you find, I, I would say, you find wine is equated with God's blessing in the Old Testament and is mandated for the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Mandated. Commanded. I know these days we use grape juice to avoid any controversy, but think about this. If you use grape juice for the Lord's Supper in your church and the crazy new hipster church down the street starts using Coke or something, what is your argument against them? Grape juice is man-made. Wine is God-ordained in nature. So, you know, one of the reasons fundamentalists come up with rules like these is they do something I like to call the legalistic two-step. That is, instead of just looking at what Scripture says, they take a leap from it with two steps. Uh, let me give you an example. For instance, regarding alcohol, the Bible says... Be not drunk or be sober. And the first step they'll take is some people get drunk. Second step, therefore all drinking is wrong. So the second step is a bit of a leap. So also on, on smoking, they'll say the body is temple of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, which, by the way, is also an argument against junk food. Uh, but they'll say the first step, cigarette smokers get lung cancer a lot. Definitely true. Second step, therefore, all smoking is wrong. Two steps. So, And one that's not used as much these days. Um, there is a definite principle of modesty in Scripture. Um, and they'll take that and they'll say the first step, most modern dancing is immodest. Definitely true. Second step, therefore, all dancing is wrong. So then you end up with situations like, uh, I'm, from, I'm aware of some uh, groups that do ballet to worship music, and that offends some people because they're like, that's dancing in the church, and all dancing is evil. So not they're not applying something directly from Scripture, but taking a leap, two steps, and then applying that. I'll give you one more. So there's a principle of good stewardship in Scripture, right? So they'll take the first step. Some people who gamble are being horrible stewards. Second step, therefore, all gambling is wrong. So what, you know, why not just hold on to the principle of Scripture and say, am I being a good steward? For instance, buying a $1 lottery ticket is arguably wasteful. But is it more wasteful than when you say, don't finish your fries that you bought at McDonald's? Or whatever. Instead, instead of saying, hey, that's dancing, or hey, that's gambling, they should say, is that modest? Or is that being a good steward? Directly apply what you see in Scripture. Not a leap from that that's been applied traditionally in the church. To many of these people, Scripture is just not strict enough for them. They have to add rules 
or read rules into scripture. Now, it's important to make points like, you know, Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. Addiction is certainly wrong. If you're coming close to that, that's certainly a problem for anything. And of course, we're talking about drinking or partaking of wine. Everyone knows drunkenness is obviously forbidden. Um, if it's truly a gift from God, though, then God's people should be the ones showing the world how to use it, how to use wine and strong drink correctly for their original purpose, for their intended purpose, and in moderation, to relax, to celebrate, and to do it in a responsible way. This is Randy Nichols. You can follow my social media on MeWe, Gab, and Parlor. If you have any questions or comments, please write me at randynichols1270 at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-D-Y-N-I-C-H-O-L-S-1270 at gmail.com. Thanks.